I want to preach a message to you today called religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. It's a big matchup. It's a big, big matchup, but I think I know who's going to win, right? And John chapter three is a matchup. It really is a matchup between religion versus relationship. We're going to look at a conversation between this guy who was extremely religious. His name was Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Nicodemus was part of a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people who were extremely religious. They had studied uh, for a living. They studied the law of Moses. They memorized scripture from the Old Testament. Um, they, they knew the Torah, which was you know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew all of these uh, stories of Moses and the Israelites and the laws and the commandments. And they were very strict, very legalistic, very much by the book. Right, you know, they, they were the kind of people who were gonna, they were the ones that would tell you get the mask up over your nose. Right, they were the kind of people that were intense about the mask mandate, the social distancing. I mean, they would walk around. They literally walked around with like measuring. They'd be like six feet away, six feet away, stay six feet away from me. Right, they would keep people at a distance from God. They were always intense about the rules, the guidelines, the regulations. And this guy Nicodemus. He was one of the top leaders. It says in John chapter three, verse one, now there was a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Not only was he a member of the Pharisees, he was among the elite of the elite. Like he graduated top of his class. He was smart when it came to religion. He understood it all. He was, he was focused on it. But then all of a sudden, this new teacher comes into Jerusalem. And this new teacher is different than anyone else they've ever heard before. Not only does he teach with authority, the man does miracles. He, he, he shows up at parties and he turns the parties up. He turns water into wine, right? He heals the lepers and he heals the blind people on the Sabbath. That didn't make sense to religious people because you weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. And it was so uh, interesting and intriguing and exciting. Nicodemus was so into him that he wanted to have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. But he knew that his buddies all were jealous of Jesus. So he wasn't gonna talk to Jesus in front of them. And so it says in verse two, he came to Jesus at midnight. He came to him in the dark because he knew his reputation was on the line. Why? Because he knew that the Pharisees, the religious people, they were threatened by Jesus. They were threatened because he was changing the whole system. Jesus was breaking the, the mindsets of religiosity off of people. People who had, who had grown up in the temple had been told, you can't come to God unless you clean up, unless you work hard. On the stage with me today, I've got two examples. And, and it really does match religion versus relationship. I have a treadmill and I have a potter's wheel. Before I get to the potter's wheel, let me just talk about the treadmill. Um, how many guys love going to the gym? Where's all the gym rats at? All right. I'm not one of you. <laughs> when I go, when I do go, um, it's, it, I, I usually start on the treadmill. And I, I remember this one time when Ashley had joined this treadmill class. She was running and, and she was really getting into it. And they would meet up at the gym and they would get on the treadmill and they would go fast. And she started telling me, you gotta come and join us. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. She was like, just come. She was like, you really need it. You know, she was trying to give me like some hints. You could really use this. And I was like, okay, all right. So I come. And I'm watching Ashley, she gets on her treadmill and you know, she's got the speed going and, and I'm content with my speed. I'm, I'm content, like I'm, go, I'm going just at my pace, right? 
But then Ashley starts picking up her pace and she's like, you gonna pick up your pace? I was like, well, I guess so, you know? And she's like, well, I'm beating you right now. And then when she said that, I was like, all right, it's on. I'm, I'm picking up my pace. I am gonna show you that I can beat you at this. And then the guys around me, they're going faster. So I'm looking at them and, and, and they're speeding up. And so I've gotta speed up because they're speeding up. This is what religion does. Religion puts us on a treadmill of trying to keep up with everybody else. And religion keeps us in this activity performance-based Christianity where I've got to burn enough calories to pay for the sins that I committed. I've got to, I've got to in order to have a cheat meal, I've got to make sure that I do enough distance and, and, and I get enough speed. And, and, and if they're doing better than me, I've got, to, I've got to get as good as them. And so I've got to pick up the pace. Can I tell you, when I was at the gym, I literally started running and I'm like running out of breath and Ashley's looking at me like, don't kill yourself over there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to beat her and I'm trying to beat them and, and it's getting faster and faster and I'm running out of breath and, and I'm going, okay, all right, all right. If I can just keep doing this, if I can keep up with this, then I'll finally be better than them and I'll be, I'll be good enough and I'll be strong enough and I'll be skinny enough and I'll be worthy enough. Religion burns you out. And I'm not against the gym. Y'all are like, oh, he's hating on the gym. No, I, I believe in the gym. But there's something about religion and Jesus said to the religious people, you put people, you put people on this treadmill of behavior and, and you get them trying to do everything you tell them to do and then you load them down with burdens. You put bags on them that they can't even bear. You weigh people down with all of these rules and, and regulations and you're not even following them, Dr. Fauci. You're not even following them, Governor Gavin Newsom. I love you. If you're watching, we, we, we welcome you here. You don't even have to wear a mask, you can come. I'm telling you, during the pandemic, I have seen such a religious, pharisaical spirit stir up in our society. What happened to kindness? What happened to customer service? What happened to just, just people being nice to people? Get your mask up over your nose, sir. Keep your distance away from us. And, and, and there's this intensity, and Jesus called it out during his day. He said, you guys are so obsessed with people washing their hands while your hearts are full of so much greed and so much junk. You care about the outside, but you don't give a, a, a cent about the inside. <laughs> Sorry. So, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's got his treadmill and, 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 he's, and he's so focused on his performance, his behavior, his good works, his, he's following all the mask mandates, he's doing all of the CDC guidelines, he's doing it all. And watch what he says to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, how does he know this? How does he know that Jesus is a teacher who's come from God. All of his buddies, they, they knew about Jesus. Not only did they know about Jesus, they knew about all the leaders. They were so obsessed with information. They had replaced intimacy with information. They cared more about knowing about God than actually knowing God for themselves. So they memorized scripture, but they didn't have a relationship with God. It's possible to know everything about someone and not really know them. When I was at Oral Roberts University, I was part of a group called the Maybe Maniacs. 
and my brother, he, he was like one of the ringleaders of this group, and, and we would get excited, we would paint our stomachs, we would show up to the game, we would scream and shout, and we would study you know, the opponents. We knew everything about every player. Like, if you asked me, you know, what was Caleb Green's um, uh, uh, rebound average? I knew he made 8.6 rebounds per game, and, and I knew he scored 16.9 points per game, and he had you know, 7.6 assists. I had it all memorized. And if you asked me, are you like close with the basketball team? I'd be like, we are so tight. I know everything about them. But if you were to ask Caleb Green, who's Paul Doherty? He would be like, Paul who? I don't know that kid. And I was a kid in his eyes because he was six foot 10. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. I knew Caleb, but Caleb didn't know me. There's a lot of people who know about God, but Jesus says one day when they step into eternity, the Lord will say, I never knew you. You knew about me, but you never wanted to know me. You didn't want a relationship, you just wanted a religion. You wanted a Sunday checklist. So Nicodemus is here and he's talking to Jesus. He says, we know all about you. We got all the information, we got the scoop. We know how many miracles you've made. We know about you know, the, the sermons you've preached. And he says, also, we know that no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. So he recognizes there's power. There's power behind Jesus. And Jesus replies to Nicodemus. Look at this, this is funny. Nicodemus gives Jesus a compliment. And watch how Jesus responds to his compliment. He says, very truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, he says, you're going to hell. <laughs> how would you like it if you went and gave a preacher a compliment and they go, hey, thanks, but you're going to hell. You'd be like, what? What, how dare you? But Jesus was saying, look, Nicodemus, your treadmill Christianity is not going to get you into heaven. Good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. Religious people don't get into heaven, it's people who have a relationship with Jesus. And guess what, a relationship is free. It's a free gift, it's called salvation. Jesus was breaking the box of Nicodemus' mindset. It was shattering his whole, he had grown up his whole life, Pharisees were not born into the Pharisee sect. You had to earn your way in. You had to study hard. You had to, you had to have a 4.0 GPA in the Israel schools. You had to turn in your applications. You had to score high on your ACTs. In order to get into the Ivy League schools where the Pharisees went, it was a big deal. Paul the Apostle was one of these guys. Studied hard under Galileo. And he was mentored and he spent his whole life focusing on the law, running on the treadmill carrying the burdens for all of the other Pharisees so that he could earn his ticket in. And in their mindset, they thought their righteous acts was what was going to save them. Their information was what was going to, to save them, what was going to help them have forgiveness. As long as they paid their penance and did all their stuff, it was a game. And Jesus said, your, your righteous acts are filthy rags. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to be human than constantly feeling ashamed and unworthy and pointing your finger and holding your measuring stick against other people. If I could break down religion versus relationship and just kind of have two columns, this is what it looks like. Religion is all about information. How much information, the more information you have, the more powerful you are. The more scriptures you know, the more elite you are in the religious system. But relationship is about intimacy. It's about intimacy. Behind me is this potter's wheel, and, and I, in school, I, I loved art. It was my favorite subject. <laughs> I just, I wanted to be in the art room all the time. Art and music. How many of you guys loved art growing up? 
Yeah, and, and we had this awesome art teacher named Miss Macintosh. And I remember when Miss Mac taught us how to do pottery. I was getting a little fast there. In order to shape the clay, you gotta have water. It, it's not moldable or shapeable without the water. And, and, and it's gotta be, if it's too hard, now you could take a hard piece of, of clay, but you put water on it and you stick it on there and all of a sudden it starts to become moldable, shapeable. You can form it, you can take away certain things. This is what happens in a relationship where there's intimacy, there's room for growth. There's room for change. Intimacy is not a hard heart, intimacy is a soft, soft heart. When there's intimacy in a relationship, there's a softness, there's a water there. There's a, there's a sense that, hey, we can work through this, we can grow through this, we can, there's change that can happen. You're not stuck in that attitude, you're not stuck in that. Religion is all about the law. Do this, don't do this, if you do this, you're toast, right? Because the law, Moses gave 600 plus commandments, not just the 10 commandments, he had 600 other commandments more that was like how, how long your hair can be, what clothes you wear, your earrings, you know, I mean, it was like when to use the restroom, what to do after the restroom, wash your hands, do all this stuff. And the Pharisees, they were so obsessed with these laws that they literally pushed people away from God. They pushed the people who needed God the most out of the temple. I said, you know, members only, members only jackets. It's just us, the people who have followed the law to the cross the T, dot the I. We're the ones who are perfect here. We're the ones who are playing, the, you know, we're perfect in all of our out, outward ways. But relationship is about love, right? So religion is about law, relationship is about love. Religion is about guilt. We guilt trip people into behavior change, behavior modification, get the outside looking good. As long as you act good in front of public, we're good. Religion, religion creates secret sins. Religion creates secrets, right? Because they're always about the outside. Jesus says, you wash the outside, the outside of the cup looks nice, but the inside, you're whitewashed tombs. So it's, it's guilting people into behavioral change, but relationship is about grace, grace-inspired obedience. Religion is about my works. Relationship is about his finished work. Religion is all about activity, right? Get on the treadmill, make sure you're doing enough activity, stay busy, 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 busy. But relationship is about identity. It's about knowing who I am in Christ so I have more freedom to rest in what he's done for me and to grow into who he's called me to be because I'm not trying to prove myself to all the church people. No, I know who I am because I have a relationship with Jesus. My identity is not wrapped up in my activity. So my activity flows out of my identity versus my activity being the core root of who my identity is. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, Nicodemus, no one can come to the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now that's a, that's a strange thing to say. We understand what born again is. We're like, yes, born again, because we have a Bible. Nicodemus didn't have a New Testament. The New Testament was literally being written right in front of Nicodemus. This is the first time he's ever heard this concept, born again. What in the world are you talking about? Just for a second, pretend like you don't know what born again means, and imagine that you're hearing this for the first time, like Nicodemus, who grew up in the church, and I can relate to Nicodemus, I grew up in the church, Right? I grew up, my parents, Billy Joe and Sharon Darty, my mom, the founding pastor here on the front row, started Victory in 1981. She's my hero. 
My dad's in heaven. And, 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 and 1980, by the way, next month, we're celebrating 40 years as a church, 40 year anniversary. Come on, it's gonna be amazing. Don't miss it, don't miss it. Um, but I grew up listening to my mom sing. She got me into piano lessons. I grew up listening to my dad preach. She got me, you know, taking guitar. By the time I was 12, I was starting to lead worship for our school. I was a worship leader for 13 years before I was a pastor. So I knew the songs, I knew the sermons. I, I loved church. I was always in the room. I followed the rules. And there were rules, unintentionally. There were some rules that I thought were the rules you had to keep even on top of the other rules that I knew you had to keep. There was rules like make sure your shirt tail is always tucked in. Make sure that you're, you know, you're always looking sharp, looking nice. And these weren't necessarily rules where my parents said, if you don't follow these, God doesn't love you. <laughs> they never said that. But in my mind, I started believing there were certain things I had to always do to be on my best behavior. Because if I'm not on my best behavior, then somehow I'm not worthy. And so I, I get on the treadmill and I, I try to do as much as I can and follow all the rules. And, and I was good at rule keeping, but I didn't have an organic relationship with Jesus. And, and I was afraid. I was afraid of getting punished if I did something wrong. So I made sure to do everything right as long as everyone was looking. That's what religion does. It, it creates this public performance and it lacks a private relationship. Nicodemus was right here. He knew how to look good in front of the church people. And Jesus hits him with this concept. You can't get into heaven. And heaven can't get into you while you're here on earth unless you're born again. And, and, and Nicodemus is confused when he hears the words born again. What are you talking about? Born again. Now we read this and we go, oh, I love the born again message because we've heard the Bible. Nicodemus didn't have the gospels that we have. All he had was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets, and the Psalms, and none of those people talked about being born again. Born again was a New Testament message. It was brand new, it was fresh, it was right out of the oven. Jesus was introducing Nicodemus to a brand new theology, and it didn't make sense to him. So just for a moment, let's pretend like we don't all know what born again means, and when you hear the word born again, and you've never heard it before, like Nicodemus, you're going, this sounds silly. What, what do you mean? I can't go back into my mother's womb. I, what are you talking about? How, how am I supposed to be born? I, I've already been born, I'm a full, I'm an adult. I can't crawl back in there, right? That's, I mean, he's laughing at what Jesus is saying, and, and, and Jesus is being very honest with him. Just this past week, we told Liam, we're, like, we're doing this focus on the family like teaching that we've been following some other people who've given us some wisdom on when to start talking to your kids, at what age, about body parts and all that kind of stuff. So we were explaining to Liam that he came from mama's womb. And, um, and it was a funny conversation as we were talking it through. But I remember when my, my dad first you know, told me um, this, he told me when I was 24 years old. We didn't have the talk when I was in junior high. <laughs> and, um, and so I was, I was kind of like, it was really funny. He called me from Houston, Texas when he was at MD Anderson and uh, he was getting chemo treatment. It, was, it wasn't funny, but in this moment, it was a funny moment. Our whole family laughed because he said, Paul, I need you to get a ticket, fly down to Houston. I need to talk to you about something. I was like, what is it? He goes, I'll tell you when you get down here. 
So I come down to Houston and he had been there just for two days and, and I was here in Tulsa. My mom was there with him and Ruthie was there. So I come into the hospital room and he goes, ladies, out of the room, just me and Paul. So, you know, I'm in there and he goes, Paul, have I, have I ever told you about where you came from? I was like, dad, I, I, I kind of already know that. He said, well, I wanna talk to you about the birds and the bees. I was like, Dad, I'm 24 years old. I kinda, I kinda know that now. And I imagine Nicodemus is having some funny thoughts listening to what Jesus is saying in this moment. He goes, what, what are you saying to be born again? Like, what does that even mean? And, and, and he says, how, verse four, how can someone be born again when they're old. And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born, look at this, of water and the spirit. There's a reason why I picked the potter's wheel because the clay cannot be shaped and formed without the water. What Jesus was saying is your life cannot change without the Holy Spirit. Your heart cannot change just by going to church, just by studying the scripture. You gotta know God. The water is the relationship. It's putting your faith in God. It's putting yourself back on the wheel to say, Lord, I'm not finished yet. You're not finished with me yet. And I wanna put my faith in you. And I wanna open my heart up to believe in you. Jesus is more interested in brokenness than he is in perfection. Jesus is more interested in honesty than he is in you pretending to have it all together. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And it has to be through the water and the Holy Spirit. It has to be a relationship with God that gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The treadmill only makes you even more unworthy. Following all the laws, Paul said this in Romans chapter seven, the law actually makes me want to sin. The law that was created to try to keep me from sinning actually caused me to sin. And I'm constantly at, at war. There's this wrestling match going on of wanting to do the right thing, but somehow by focusing on not doing the right thing, I end up doing the, the wrong thing. You know, it's just constant like war with trying to follow all the commandments. Jesus said the flesh gives birth to flesh. The only way you can be saved is not by your good deeds, but by the spirit that gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. By the way, it was not a suggestion. It was a commandment. You must. You must, you cannot enter, and I know this doesn't sound popular in the American church of 2021, where they say that everyone's going to heaven and there is no hell, and they've tried to erase hell, but here at Victory, we still believe in the scripture and that it's the, the highest authority over every opinion of every popular preacher out there. So if you're looking for like a popular personal opinion type of church, you came to the wrong place. But if you're looking for the scripture, and you're okay with the old-fashioned truth that's outlasted every single preacher's opinion on the planet except for God himself, then you came to the right place because there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. And Jesus was trying to save Nicodemus. The road is narrow. And we, we automatically think, okay, it's narrow, it's narrow, which means I've gotta get on the treadmill to make sure that I earn my ticket down that narrow path. It's narrow because so many religious people put their faith in their own actions. It's interesting that the people who Jesus spent the most time with, ate dinner with, talked with, got down in the sand with, it was the woman caught 
in adultery. It was Zacchaeus who had cheated people out of all of their money. It was the tax collectors, the sinners, the drunks. Jesus said, narrow is the road. You get it. How did the people who the religious people thought had no place in the temple end up on the narrow path? It wasn't because of their behavior. It was because of their surrender. This is gonna blow someone's mind today. Your behavior cannot save you. Even after salvation, your behavior cannot save you. It is only through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved. You don't like it? Read your Bible, sir. No, Paul, we gotta follow all 633 commandments from Moses. No. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the savior. You can't save yourself. You didn't save you. Paul, I'm, I'm a self-made millionaire. I'm a DIY person. I do it myself. I do everything myself. You can't do this yourself. Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus says? You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And you don't understand these things? I love how Jesus talks to him. He says, all right, I'm gonna put it in your language. I'll take you back to the Old Testament. He says, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. He's talking about people who are experiencing the power of God through Jesus. We testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, and that's Jesus. So Jesus says, look, you've never been up there. Don't pretend like you know how to get in there when you've never been there. Jesus says, I came from there, the son of man. And just as Moses, here's the Old Testament reference, just as Moses in Exodus had to lift up the snake that was on the pole in the wilderness. Now, for those of you who are going, what is he talking about? In the Old Testament, there was a moment when all these Israelites got bitten by poisonous snakes. We're talking like 30,000, 50,000, 60,000 people bitten by poisonous snakes. Everyone in this camp had been attacked by venomous snakes. They're all dying of the poison. The only cure to the virus was through the actual blood. So they had to lift up a snake on the pole and when people looked at the snake on the pole, they were cured and healed of the venom that was inside them. There's a sermon in that. There's a sermon. The only way that we were able to overcome the blood of the virus was by a greater blood through the virus. There's a greater blood that speaks louder than the blood of the virus. And, and so the people were cured as they looked to the snake on the pole. And Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a different pole, a cross on Calvary. And everyone who looks to him shall be saved. Salvation comes from the Son of God through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? So Jesus says, I'm what you're looking for. And everyone who looks to me will have eternal life. And then the most popular scripture on the planet happens in this conversation between Jesus, who lives his life from a relationship with God and a religious man. Hold on before I say John 3, 16, because I know you all know it. But let me just say this, and I want the keys to come up. Jesus ministered from a relationship. He knew who he was. He was the son of God. He knew who his father was. 
So from this relationship, Jesus was constantly surrendered. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He was constantly living from the overflow of a relationship with his father. And he was inviting everybody into a relationship. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm eating at your house. Why would you eat at my house? I'm a bad guy. I've done bad things. I've stolen money. I've cheated people. I've made a whole lot of mistakes. Zacchaeus, come on the potter's wheel. Do I have to clean up before I come? Nope. Come as you are. I love, religion says, clean up and then you can come. Get your act together and then you can come. But relationship says, come as you are. Come in your sin, come with your bad attitude, come with your mess, come with your nasty, nasty self, just come, come and watch. Watch what I'll do. So Jesus ministers from relationship and he looks at Nicodemus and he says, this is for everyone. Nicodemus, God so loved the world. He so loved you, and he so loved Paul, and he so loved Ashley and Mark, and he so loved the cocaine addict, and he so loved the prostitute, and he so loved the woman caught in adultery, and he so loved the preacher's kid, and he so loved that, that missionary kid that thought he always had to do his, his, his chores in order to be loved by God, and he so loved you who was abused by your dad, and he so loved you who was molested by your uncle, and he so loved you, he so loved you, that he didn't just want you to know information about him, he wanted you to have a relationship with him. So he sent me, Nicodemus. He sent me. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I, I came for you on behalf of God. Because a long time ago, when the world first started, there was this guy that God made. His name was Adam. And Adam had a relationship with God. They talked to each other. Adam didn't have a Bible. He didn't memorize Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And there's nothing wrong with that, Nicodemus. It's just that, that that won't save you. Adam had a relationship with God. They walked, they talked, they laughed together. They were in the garden. And then Adam sinned. And sin separated people from God. And then people tried to figure out ways to get back to God. And that's why Moses made all these commandments so that people could try to find their way back to God because people just know that the world is harsh and no matter how much money you make or how big your house is or what car you drive or if you got a scholarship to college, it's just never enough. So people tried to, to figure out a way to have a spiritual connection. So they did yoga. They had their own ways. They wrote their books. They figured out ways to feel spiritual. But Jesus said, there's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one way to be healed. There's only one, one way to be changed. Now the Pharisees, they were the strictest group. There was two groups in the religious group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they were born into this religious sect, which means they didn't have to work for it. If their daddy was a Sadducee and they were born, they became a Sadducee. It was sad, you see. As, as a cheesy preacher joke. And so the Sadducees, it's like if you grew up in that family, you just got a ticket. You were part of the elite group. You got to go to the Ivy League school. You got to be one of the, the religious you know, leaders. And, um, and the Pharisees, they had to work hard. They weren't born into it. They had to prove their worth, right? They had to earn their ticket in. And it, some of them came from very poor, 
you know, homes that were, were bad. And so they worked hard to be the opposite of their family so that they could earn their righteousness and earn their worthiness. And I'm nothing like my dad and I'm a Pharisee. And it made them prideful. They took pride in their righteousness. And they judged, they judged people. Where's, where's my measuring stick? I had it somewhere around here. There it is. Everybody's trying to help me. Thank you guys. I need all the help I can get. They judged people on, on their sins. And so they would say, well, this person is very far from God because they've committed so many sins. They've done so many drugs and they're addicted to it, you know? So it, that keeps, that's about an eight foot sin, right? Gossip is like a, it's like a nine inch sin. Gossip's not a huge deal. If you talk bad about somebody, it's not a big deal. God's not too mad about that. That's, that's a nine inch sin. Slander, we'll, we'll make that a 13 inch sin. You know, if you have your mask off, that's, that's two feet, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and if you murder somebody, well, that's, that's a really bad sin. And if you have sex outside of marriage, well, that's, yeah, that's a rough one too. And, and they measured sin. And they were so good at measuring everybody's sins. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, you know gossip? And you know that comparison, covetous spirit that you have? And I know you haven't stolen anything, but the fact that you're jealous of what she has and you don't have it, it's just as bad as murder. And they go, no, 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 it can't be. It can't be because we studied in the law that you know murder, you get to stone somebody to death. Adultery, we get to throw stones at her. Jesus says, yeah, but... You lying, you being a hypocrite, you cleaning the outside of the cup while your inside is so filthy. Jesus said, you've all fallen short of the glory of God. You've all fallen short of the glory of God. You all need a savior. You all need grace. And Jesus said, the Lord sent me here so that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Watch what he says after verse 16, he says, God did not send me to condemn the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to bring condemnation. Religion brings shame, guilt, condemnation, but relationship brings salvation, sanctification, identification, justification. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus was rocking Nicodemus' world, and later on we find out that Nicodemus decides to follow Jesus, not just in the dark, but later on in the daylight. He's seen with Joseph of Arimathea helping bury Jesus, and he's decided to go public with his faith. Something about this conversation rattled him, changed him. I remember this man who came to our church, and, and he introduced himself after one of the sermons. He said, I just want you to know I'm an atheist. And I said, okay. And he said, no, like I still am an atheist. I said, okay. And he said, can I keep coming? I was like, yeah. He's like, I can? I said, yeah. And he goes, so it's not just for Christians. I said, it's especially not just for Christians. He was like, really? I said, yeah. I said, you can belong before you believe. He goes, wow, I've never heard that. I said, well, I didn't, I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. And I've heard a lot of other preachers use it too but you can belong at victory before you believe. He said, okay. 
well, I like you guys and I feel something good here, so I'm gonna come back. I said, keep coming. So he comes again, comes again, comes again. And the day came where he said, I think I'm ready to believe. He said, now I'm not gonna believe in everything, but I am gonna believe in Jesus. He said, I don't know if I'm ready for the tongue talking stuff yet. I said, that's okay. You can belong before you believe in that. He said, I can. I said, yeah. We're not gonna card you at the door, make you speak in tongues when you walk in. <laughs> we don't have a bouncer, it's not a club, you're welcome. He's like, man, this feels good. I've never felt this loved. I said, well, this is how Jesus works. He said, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. I prayed with him, he confessed Jesus as his savior. After the prayer, he goes, uh, he says, now, I still have a lot of bad habits. I said, okay. He said, like, I, I still do some stuff I shouldn't do. I said, well, you can belong before you behave. He said, what? I've never heard that before. I said, well, it came from Jesus. And I've heard some other preachers use it. And he said, so I can belong before I behave? I said, think about Peter. Jesus put up with Peter for the whole time and Peter made a lot of bad mistakes, but he didn't kick him out of the group. He even let Judas hang with him, you know? Like Jesus just hung out with people that didn't have their act together. But the longer they hung out with Jesus, the more their life began to change. His life began to change. When we move from religion to relationship, there's a few things that begin to happen. Number one, we move from obligation to gratitude. The treadmill keeps me in an obligated state. I'm obligated to go to church. I'm obligated to read my Bible. I'm obligated to do all these things and I'm obligated. Religion keeps me constantly feeling like I'm obligated. But relationship leads me into this grateful spirit of, oh man, I get to spend time with Jesus. Man, I look forward to Sundays. It's one of my favorite things to be with you guys. It's one of my favorite things to spend time in God's presence. I love worship music. I used to only listen to it when I felt like I had to. Now I listen to it because I really want to. I don't have the desire to listen to the, the music I used to listen to. And I used to listen to some music that my mom didn't know I listened to. I'm sorry, mom. And I'm no longer living under the obligation of don't listen to Eminem, you know, or whatever. And there's, you know, I, I don't wanna get focused on the outward behavior, but there's something about coming to Jesus and, and he begins to like change your desires. He begins to, begins to say, hey, I honestly think you'll like this probably more than you like that. I think you'll learn to actually love the presence of God more than you used to love cussing out people and being angry and triggered all the time and constantly impatient because of the stuff that you've been feeding your soul. Number two, we move from been there, done that to expectancy for so much more. Religion keeps me in this place of, I know everything, there's nothing new Paul could teach me because I've heard every sermon on TBN, I've got all of it memorized. I got the t-shirt, I got the still on the throne jacket. I've memorized Jesus Freak, I know it all. I got a Christian bumper sticker on my car, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Religion just keeps me in this really stale, dry place, but relationship is like, man, I am hungry for the, the word of God. If Mark's preaching or Sharon, Pastor Sharon's preaching or John or Paul or Liam or whoever, like I just am leaning in, I just wanna worship, I just wanna, like I'm expectant for God to move because I'm in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Number three, I'm moving from hypocrisy to honesty. 
The treadmill keeps me in a secret sin place. I want my kids to get to a place where they wanna obey me and Ashley, not because they're afraid of getting spankings, but because they truly enjoy honoring mommy and daddy. Religion keeps, keeps us in a place of hiding things. Number four, we move from merciless to merciful, and I, I fully believe this. Right now, we're seeing a society that is so mean and angry. Me and Ashley got placed on the no-fly list on American Airlines. We're now, we're now removed from that list. We're allowed to fly again. I had to wait until the testimony was full to tell you. It was four months ago, but um, we went on a trip to go and minister in Washington, D.C. with Sean Foyt, Let Us Worship, and on the way there, you know, they said, because of social distancing, we can't give anyone anything, but we will give you crackers. So I'm eating crackers. And they said, you can pull your mask down to eat the cracker, but make sure you get it right back up. So I, you know, pull it down, I eat the cracker. And the stewardess walks by and she goes, I'm not gonna tell you again to get that mask up. I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm just finishing my cracker. And she's like, I'm gonna wait here until you're done with that cracker. I was like, yes, ma'am. So I get it back up. And I guess she placed me and Ashley on the no-fly list because she didn't like how I looked at her. I didn't mean to give her a bad look. I just, I don't know. Maybe I was like this. I don't know. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but she was on it. And there was no mercy. And so when we tried to check back in to fly back home, they said, you know, beep, 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 beep. We got to call the police. You guys are on the no-fly list. What did you do? I was like, I'm not a terrorist. Please. I don't have a bomb. They said, he said bomb. No. You know. <laughs> so... So I, they made us stand up against the wall, me and Ashley. And literally, they brought out the air marshal. And he comes in front of us. He says, I hear you guys are the non-mask wearers. I said, no, 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 we do wear the mask. I promise you. I thought he had seen a picture of us at our church or something. I was like, we do. We wear it. And he goes, where is it? I said, it's right here. I got the mask. He said, did you take it off on one of your flights? I said, just, 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 to, just to eat a cracker. <laughs> and he goes, don't ever do that again. I was like, yes, sir. I'm sorry. We're living in such a, a merciless society right now. And people have lost their kindness. But when I'm in a relationship with God, I'm merciful because I realize how much I've been forgiven. I realize how much I need mercy. How many of y'all are thankful for the mercy of God? Number five, we move from trusting in our ongoing works to resting in his finished work. Religion keeps me on the treadmill, but relationship gives me this freedom to pause. Like even right now, I'm tempted to just end the service because I know it's 1229 and I feel real bad because people want to leave and go eat. But there's this part of me that's like, you know what? People who want to leave, that's fine. I just feel like God's doing something right now. And, and I'm not under the compulsion to try to, to please everyone's opinions right now. And I can rest. And there's nothing wrong with anyone who has to go, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit's working right now in someone's heart. I was talking with this counselor and she said, have you ever walked into church and felt like you didn't have a good message to preach? And I said, yeah. And she was in her 70s, her and her husband, they used to be pastors. And she said, we used to feel that sometimes. And I said, what'd you do? She said, sometimes we would just walk in and sit there. And I said, what did the church do? She said, they just stared at us. Some of them left. I said, well, that's awkward. Why didn't you just preach? She said, we were trying to just teach the idea that you don't always have to have something to say. 
that sometimes you can come into God's presence and just sit there. Sometimes when I'm out to eat with my wife, I feel like I gotta always fill the air up with words. So I just talk, 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 and she's like, you done? No, she loves what I have to say, she does. But sometimes she's like, you don't have to keep talking. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll shut up now. There's something about being able to rest in someone's presence and not feel like you gotta always talk, or you could just sit there. It's a rested place. Number six, we move from enduring religion to enjoying God. This is one of my favorites. This set me free. This gave me permission to sing Jesus Freak at our church, to dance around like a fool, to become undignified, and to laugh, and to tell funny jokes, and to be myself. Sometimes I, I think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have talked about Dr. Fauci or Governor Newsom, and God goes, no, 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 that's why I like you, because you're honest, and you're just having fun, and you don't care about you know, offending people all the time. And, and then I'm like, well, maybe I used too many props. I had like 10 props up here and maybe I should have just chosen one. And God goes, no, I like that. You're quirky, you're funny, you, you're kind of all over the place. You're, you're wild and it's fun and, and you got 10 props, you know? And when you enjoy God, you're just free to be you. And, and when you're enduring religion, you're just, you're in this rigid state, just very legalistic and stiff-necked and uh, don't be seen talking to the opposite sex and don't, don't do any, always have your shirt tail tucked in and, 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 and endure church, but when you're enjoying God, you're just, man, you're just enjoying God. You're just enjoying God's presence and his people, and you're on the potter's wheel. Number seven, when, when, when we move from religion to relationship, we move from control to freedom. Religion thinks I'm in control. I can control this. We found out really quack, uh, really quack, really quick, um, quack, quack, quick. We found out really quick in the pandemic that we are not in control. And, and it was hard for all the control freaks. Me, I'm one of those people. And I was like, ah, I'm not in control. And God says, it's okay, you're still free. Paul the apostle said, I am free. Even when I'm in prison, I'm free. I'm more free in a prison than some men who are out of the prison, but they're in a prison in their mind because freedom is an inside thing, not an outside thing. And when you have freedom on the inside, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, what the conditions are, what the pandemic is, what the guidelines are. You're just free because you have Jesus in your heart. Number eight, we move from religious rule keeping to grace inspired obedience. I'm almost done. Just give me five more minutes. All right, <laughs> so religious rule keeping again is I'm on the treadmill, I'm trying my best, I'm falling short, I'm trying my best, but the ins grace inspired obedience. You know, this one time, I remember my dad sat down with my brother John after something, and um, I thought he was gonna spank John. John was like 18 years old, and I was like, you are gonna get spanked. <laughs> I was like, you're gonna get like 10 spankings and grounded for the next year, and I was like kind of laughing about it. And my dad goes into John's room, comes out, and I'm like, I didn't hear any spankings. He goes, well, he didn't spank me. I was like, well, how, how long did he ground you? He's like, he didn't ground me. I was like, what? I was the older brother, the prodigal son. I'm the younger brother. But, you know, I was like, how come you didn't, how come you didn't punish him? And my dad said, I, I didn't feel to. I felt like it was just important for John to know that I love him. I remember one time I, I talked back to my mom, and I, for, I was for sure I'm going to get whooped by my dad for this. He took me to Pizza Hut. <laughs> Saved my life. <laughs> and my behind. 
Pizza Hut saved me. That's gonna be a book one day. No, Jesus saved me at Pizza Hut with my dad. He said, we don't talk to, to, to women like that. I said, am I, am I in big trouble? He said, no, I just wanted to take you to Pizza Hut to teach you how to be a gentleman. I said, thank you for taking me to Pizza Hut to teach me how to be a gentleman. His grace inspired me to go home and repent and say, mom, I'm so sorry for the way I talked to you. This will change your parenting. This will change marriage. This will change relationships because we're always on the hunt to punish people. You no, 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 no. But relationship is like grace-inspired obedience. Number nine, moving from me-centered to Jesus-centered. This is the last point right here. Religion is all about me, what I can do. Relationship is about Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna dismiss right here. We're gonna pray. And um, as we do, let me say this. One of my favorite scriptures, Jesus says, is Matthew 11, verse 28, message version. And I love how he says it in the message version. He says, are you tired? <laughs> Look at this. Are you tired? Yes. Are you worn out? Yes. Are you burned out on religion? Yes. Come to me. Get away with me, Jesus says. I'll show you how to recover your life. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. By the way, relationship is not lazy. It's not a permission to just do nothing, sit on our couches doing nothing. Relationship is an invitation to walk with Jesus. He says, walk with me, work with me. You might think it's gonna be hard, but my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not gonna be like the treadmill. It's gonna be different. It's the potter's wheel. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. I won't put any heavy burdens on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn how to live freely, lightly. And that, that addiction you've had, that habit you've had, that wound you've had, that comparison trap you keep falling into with that girl, that guy, that family. I can help you with that. The jealousy, the gossip. I know you don't like talking bad about people. Somehow you just get pulled in those conversations and I'm not condemning you, but I can help you with that. I can help you with the stuff you've been looking at. I can help you with the stuff you've been listening to. Why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes? I hear the Holy Spirit just saying, surrender, surrender. We were never supposed to get off the potter's wheel. Just because you got saved doesn't mean that you're a finished piece of clay. God says, stay on the potter's wheel. When you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50, when you've been in church for 50 years, when you got all the scriptures memorized, don't wander over to the treadmill. Stay on the potter's wheel. Stay in that place of faith and grace and relationship and intimacy. That's where it happens. That's where the real joy comes from. If you're here right now and you just feel tired, maybe burned out, maybe you just feel exhausted or overwhelmed, or maybe you unintentionally have gotten into that religious column and and you're saying, man, I need to get back into that relationship column. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this room. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, yes. No shame, no condemnation, just total, total invitation of grace today. He says, come, come, come as you are. Secondly, here today, and you say, Paul, I just need prayer. I just need prayer. I need prayer for some stuff I'm walking through. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, God knows, you know, and it's just a, an invitation to, to bring it to the altar. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand, just come and meet me at the altar right now. Just leave your seat. This is the potter's wheel. Just come on down and, and just let him begin to mold you, shape you, form you. Yeah, we're just gonna cheer on today. It's a beautiful thing when any person takes a step in the right direction to say, Jesus, I want that relationship with you. Jesus, I wanna know you more. Jesus, I wanna receive your grace in my heart. I want you to change me from the inside out. Lord, make me like you. We're just gonna sing for a minute. If you gotta leave, that's fine, but if you wanna stay just for a minute, We'll dismiss here in a moment, but let's just worship. Let's just worship. To do whatever you want to. Whatever you want to. to. Do whatever you want to do. And I will make room for you. Yes. To do whatever you want to. He's healing hearts. He's not mad at you. 
Jesus, we need you. Lord, without you, we are nothing. God, it's only through you, it's only with you, it's only in you that we have salvation. In you, we live and move and have our being. God, we surrender to you, to your Holy Spirit, Wash us with the water of your word. Remind us of the joy of our salvation. Remind us of that still small voice, how to just draw close, how to listen. Let's just pray this together. Say, Jesus, thank you for inviting me into a relationship with you, with you, God. I wanna know you, I wanna hear your voice. I wanna follow you. Be my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, God is so good. I love you, church.